Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your sex life and your marriage. And it is the last Thursday of the month. And so I like to gear these podcasts more towards the male listeners, although females, of course, are more than welcome to listen as well. It is July, though. And so I'm taking this month off to relax. We're going to start a new season of the podcast next week as we enter into our series on great biographies that you can read who've made a real difference in history. Um, But this week, I wanted to rerun a Bear Marriage Start Your Engines podcast from over a year ago that I really enjoyed. And so without further ado, here's a rerun of episode 98, What Your Wife Has Been Taught that you may not realize. So I have got my husband Keith on with me today. Hey, everybody. And we're going to do something fun. Okay. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. Okay. I'm going to ask you to think like a woman. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That'll be a challenge. (laughs) One of the things... Is is this because I said that in my little post that I've been reading your book, like trying to think about it as a woman? Yeah. Well, that was very helpful. I Mm. thought that was really great. One of the things that men often talk to us about Mm-hmm. from our book, The Great Sex Rescue, is that they were never taught these messages. Yeah. And so they wonder, where, was my wife really taught this? Like, are you making too big mm-hmm. a deal out of something? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because what we did for The Great Sex Rescue, here's the book, I will hold it up for those of you watching on YouTube. There it is, The Great Sex Rescue, was we surveyed 20,000 women. Mm-hmm. We asked them about their sex lives, their marital satisfaction, and then we asked whether or not they had been taught and whether or not they believed a number of evangelical teachings that are quite prevalent about marriage and sex. And we found that there were quite a few of those beliefs that really did have negative impacts on women's sex lives. But then men come around and say, yeah, but I have never heard this. I've been going to church my whole life. I've been an evangelical my whole life. I have never heard any of this stuff preached. I have never heard it said that all men struggle with lust. I have never heard it said that women are obligated to have sex whenever their husbands want it. I have never heard it said that boys are going to push girls' sexual boundaries. I've never heard any of this stuff said. And so... Which I find a little bit hard to believe because I think it's everywhere. But but we have had people say that. Yeah. But one of the interesting things is that... When you ask women where they hear this stuff, Mm -hmm. it doesn't tend to be from the pulpit. And often it's not even from their parents. Usually it's from resources and books. And so here's the thing that I want guys to understand. We know that at least 74% of marriage and parenting books are bought by women and read by women. (laughs) That makes sense. That's the figure for books as a whole. It's probably higher in the Christian circles because women go to women's Bible studies. Yeah. And it was in women's Bible studies that I read a lot of these books. It wasn't because of small groups. It wasn't, it was, it it was in women only spaces and women go to a lot of women's conferences where this stuff is taught. We listen to focus on the family. Most listeners of focus on the family are female. And so women are often given very different messages from men. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do on today's show is I have a whole stack of books And I am going to read to you some excerpts of what women have been hearing their whole lives and just get your take on how you would feel if you were a woman. And I heard that. Yes. Now, one of these books was your choice because you read this recently. I'm going to save that one to last. And you were quite upset about, about it. But I have a whole bunch of other books and a whole bunch of takes. And I want your response. Okay. First book, When God Writes Your Love Story by Eric and Leslie Luddy. Okay. okay. These people were very big in purity culture. Oh, and okay. we're going to jump into a story about Carly and Todd. They started dating in college. It says he met Carly at an early morning 
morning prayer meeting he was leading. Drawn together by their mutual love for the Lord and a desire to go on the mission field together, they became an inseparable pair. Within two months, they knew they would be married. But one evening, passion unexpectedly overcame common sense, and the next thing they knew, they were waking up in bed together, stunned by what they had allowed themselves to do. Suddenly, their beautiful, exciting relationship became awkward and strained. Todd was riddled with gut-wrenching shame. For the first time in his life, he felt like a failure. As for Carly, she was hurt and confused by Todd's behavior. She had thought he loved her, but she had made the mistake of giving him her most precious gift, her virginity, but now he was distant and cold toward her. She was full of guilt. When she thought of all her childhood dreams of walking down the aisle in a white wedding gown symbolizing her purity, she felt sick. She could never hope to have a beautiful love story with Todd now. She had ruined her chance. Oh my gosh. So as a woman, there's like no redemption for you. Yes. Like you make, you have one slip and that's it. Yeah. Your most precious gift is gone. Yes. Evaporated. Yes. It means nothing now. Yeah. The fact that you want to spend the rest of your life with this person mm-hmm. doesn't matter. You, you're not a virgin anymore. Right. But the thing is, he's not a virgin anymore oh, yeah. either. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> and yet they're talking about it like, yes, he feels guilt, but they're saying that she's the one yeah. who's ruined her life. Well, she's because, the one. Because there is a double standard, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's the expectation that women are going to be, the, the women are the pure ones. Women are the brakes and men are the gas. That's mm-hmm. sort of the, the mentality yeah. the evangelical church has. It's yeah. not like we both have responsibility to make decisions in a way that honors each other and honors God. Mm-hmm. It's that I'm this raging torrent of testosterone and I have no control and you're the woman and you need to be in yeah. charge of making sure we don't go too far. And yeah. that's horrible and it's not fair. Yeah. So in purity culture, the message that women got was you will be ruined. Yeah. But men didn't get that same message. No, because so. it's, her, it's her gift. It's not his yes, gift. Yeah. exactly. Okay, second book we're going to look at, of course, Love and Respect by Emerson Egrich. Okay. We, we deal with this one quite a bit. We're just going to take a little bit of a romp through the sex chapter. All right. We open with a wife who doesn't have a very happy marriage to her doctor husband. Oh, okay. But we have a happy marriage to my doctor husband. Okay. okay good. And she just doesn't really want sex. Egrich says, through a series of events, the Lord spoke to her and said, who is supposed to be the mature one here? He is a new believer and you've been in Christ for many years. She got the message. She decided to minister to her husband sexually, not because she particularly wanted to, but because she wanted to do it as unto Jesus. She didn't have that need for sex. It wasn't within her, but she realized this was her husband's need, and the Lord had spoken to her about meeting his need first. I was shaking my head already. Can I comment on that? (laughs) Yes, you can. It's like lie back and do it for England. You know, like think of England. Like it's just terrible. Like it's like we know that sex isn't going to feel good for you, you know. So, Mm -hmm. but just do it for whatever reason, right? Do it as unto Jesus. Like, that's creepy. I, I don't like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Super I creepy. would not, if I were a woman, I would find that very, very upsetting. The first thing I thought was if she doesn't want sex, what's going on? I mean, he's a doctor. He knows how it works, right? Mm-hmm. Th- there's something must be happening there and they should, they should work out what the issues are. Yeah. But that's never said. It's just, she needs to meet his needs. Let's go on with that idea. Husbands particularly can come under satanic attack when deprived of sexual release. Oh, okay. Wives might be able to better understand this if they think about how they would feel if their husbands didn't want to talk or listen to them. Being deprived of emotional release would make most women feel miserable. So first of all, husbands need physical release. Yeah, well, this would, if I were a woman and I was reading this, I would feel incredible pressure, like incredible pressure, because you're saying 
your husband can come under satanic attack based mm-hmm. on what you do. Yeah. Like, so that to me is, that's huge, right? And I mean, obviously I don't think it's true. I, I mean, I think this is crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, what about single men, right? Like, mm-hmm. are they under constant satanic attack because they can't, you know, like it's just, it's just silly. But if I were a woman reading that, I would feel so much burden. Oh my gosh, this is so terrible. I've really got to, I mean, how could you enjoy sex? in that in the back of your mind mm-hmm. like i'm doing it so to prevent a satanic attack yeah so you're doing it unto jesus you're doing it to, to prevent, prevent a satanic, a satanic attack, attack. Yeah. now let's go to a, a conversation between a mother and a daughter i know this one <laughs> every sunday she and her husband would visit her parents but one sunday morning she called her mother and said we're not coming the mother asked why not well because my honey is in a twit the daughter said why inquired the mother i suppose because we haven't been sexually intimate for seven days Mom did not hesitate. Gently but firmly, she let her daughter have it. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Why would you deprive him of something that takes such a short amount of time and makes him so happy? <laughs> I, knew, I knew that was coming. That's a, that's, a, that's a classic one. You've quoted it so many times. And I, I think it's really... I mean, of course, he puts the words in the in the mouth of a woman so that it comes mm-hmm. across easier to a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I were a woman reading that, that would just drive me crazy. Okay, first of all, it takes such a short amount of time. Like, then you're doing it wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you're a woman, it doesn't take a short amount of time. And that's the way women are made. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, so. So as a woman, you're listening to this and you're thinking constant pressure. So yeah. you have your and mother it's, telling it's you you very... have to... Oh, sorry. Come under satanic attack. Do it under Jesus. It's very clear. The whole point is that sex is not for women. It's Mm -hmm. just for men. And you need to do it so that, you know, you're taking care of him. Yeah. Um, You're the mature one. Right. He's the little child who is going to have a temper tantrum unless he gets sex. So give him the sex. You know, like it's, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's not, it's not a very, it's a demeaning attitude toward men too. I know we're not talking Mm -hmm. about men. We're supposed Mm -hmm. to be talking about women. But (laughs) as a man, I feel a little bit offended that Mm -hmm. this is what the view of men is in the evangelical church. I think we are better than that. Mm -hmm. But anyway. Okay. And so here's how he ends the chapter. Okay. If your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. Yeah. When you shame him... So there it's it's right out and blatant. Yes. Like you don't need sex, he does. Right. Yeah. When you shame him, punish him, or deprive him, he feels dishonored for who he is. If your husband feels you do not respect his struggle, that's his struggle with lust, his desire for you and his maleness, he'll Mm. pull back from you. But he needs you. You knew that before marriage. As you recognize his need and seek to meet it, you will find him reaching out to meet yours. So there, I just would feel very scared as a woman, right? If you don't do these things, he's going to pull back from you. Because in most relationships, women are very, very relationship-oriented, more than guys in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. They naturally have that real longing to connect. Guys tend to be a bit more independent. Mm -hmm. I think it's still important for for men, but we're not Mm -hmm. taught that way. And so as a woman reading that, if I don't do all these things, he's going to pull away from me. And that's, that's like, that sounds very dangerous as a woman. Yeah. I would find that very threatening. Yeah. So in that whole passage, in that whole chapter, which I just read to you, just short snippets, is there anything there as a woman that would make you excited to have sex? Oh, God, gosh, no. Of course <laughs> no, it's like sex is presented. It's all duty. It's, it's all, duty. all duty. Let's move to power of a praying wife. I actually did study this one in a women's Bible study. Okay. So power did, of a praying wife. Not. Yes, read this in a women's Bible study, probably like, how old's Becca now? 20, so like 24 years ago. Oh, okay. Okay. For a wife, sex comes out of affection. She doesn't want to be affectionate with a man who makes her feel angry, hurt, lonely, disappointed, overworked, unsupported, uncared for, or abandoned. But for a husband, sex is pure need. His eyes, ears, brain, and emotions get clouded if he doesn't have that release. Wow. So I think as a woman... 
Okay, this is this is a harder one to, to, for me to wrap my head around. So as a woman, she's acknowledging all these things about women. And I assume because she's a woman, they're true. Like everything she mm-hmm. said about women is true, right? Yeah. So well, I mean, I, I don't know. Some women do have a more felt need for sex as well. Yeah, but but it's it's like it's sex is a very emotional, mm-hmm. holistic, even spiritual thing for women is what she's saying. Mm-hmm. But for men, that's not true. Yeah. So like if, as a woman, I'd be like, oh, so it's it's like just need. It has nothing to do with this emotional, spiritual closeness mm-hmm. that I feel. Like that would be very upsetting to me because... It's like, I'd like to, I, I mean, maybe he needs it more than I do. Maybe he feels a physical need more than I do. But I'd like to feel that that part is, mm-hmm. the emotional part is still part of it for him. And to feel that it's not at all, mm-hmm. I think that would be very, I'd feel a little dirty about it. Yeah. And again, she uses the same word that Emerson Eggers does. She talks about his release. release. Yeah, release. Release. Yeah. Because yeah. he will explode yeah. if it doesn't. <laughs> okay, here we go. When we're married, our bodies are not our own. We owe each yeah. other physical attention and we're not to deprive one another. The frequency of sex depends on the other person's need, not ours alone. If your attitude about having sex comes down to only what you need or what you don't want, then you don't have God's perspective. Mm. Yeah. Again, so, and especially when you compare this with the idea of a hierarchy in marriage where the husband is the decision maker, as a woman, I'd feel very threatened by that because it's like, if he has the higher need mm-hmm. and he's the one who makes the decisions, it's not like we can come to a discussion about what's appropriate for us. It's mm-hmm. like, he sets the standard and I have to meet it. Yep. So it's not a mutual thing at all. It's a, I'm doing this because he's telling me to. Yep. And I would not feel comfortable with that yep. as a woman, if I were a woman. Like, I do agree with her that you are that you are supposed to think of the other person's needs. Like, we yeah. are supposed to be giving in marriage. But the problem is she doesn't balance that with the fact that sex is for you, too. Yeah. Well, and the thing, too, is that to say that it's not just about you anymore is mm-hmm. totally appropriate. But to say that it's not about you, it's that it's entirely about him. That's what I have a problem with. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, I don't think that it's fair to say that you don't have any agency anymore, mm-hmm. which is the way that it gets put forward. Like, it's like, you have no right over to your own body. He has the right over your own body. And, and then we forget the fact that, well, she has the right over his body too. Yeah. Like that keeps, that keeps falling away. And we get this mentality that women have to have sex whenever men want to. Mm-hmm. Again, because it's always the men with a higher drive in these kind of books, which is not the case in like a third of marriages. But whatever. Right. Okay. So keep that thought. Okay. Because that's going to come How am I doing? Am I, am I thinking like a woman at all yet? Yeah. <laughs> No, you're doing great. Okay, you're doing great, babe. Okay, so now we got Sheet Music by Kevin Lehman. Okay. I'm not reading all the problematic passages from these books. I'm just reading a little, just to give you a little bit of a snippet of how overwhelming some of these messages can be. So I t- I'm, I'm kind of reading the same message from each of these books mm-hmm. just to show guys this is what she's been told her whole life. Mm-hmm. And it really does get overwhelming. So and, here's. And you're going to have some like good stuff at the end about how to help them yes. get over this, right? Yes. Yeah, good. Yes. Because that's. Okay. Okay, so here's Kevin Lehman. I'm blunt with premarital couples. If you're not willing to commit yourself to having sex with this person two to three times a week for the rest of your life, don't get married. Certainly pregnancy and sickness and a few other unforeseen problems will alter this. But in general, to get married is to commit to a regular time of sexual intimacy. And then he goes on. This means there may be times when you have sex out of mercy, obligation, or commitment and without any real desire. Yes, it may feel forced. It might feel planned and you may fight to stop yourself from just shoving your partner away and saying enough already. But the root issue is this. You're acting out of love. You're honoring your commitment. And that's a wonderful thing to do. Okay. 
All right, so this is one of the things. Again, I I, I find it hard to think like a woman. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about this as a guy again. Right? <laughs> so, but I find this the logic that they use all the time really bothers me. And it's like they take something which is actually healthy and they totally use the language, but then they do something which is not healthy. Okay. So, for instance, in this concept, the issue that it's not just about you, and like there are be t- there may be times where it feels planned. He said, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's healthy if you haven't been sexually intimate for a while and you realize you have been sexually intimate for a while to say you know what tuesday night we're gonna rock each other's world right like like we've been busy we've been doing stuff it's fallen by the wayside we're gonna make a date it's gonna happen i think that that's a healthy thing yeah you know that you're talking about this but but then they add all this other stuff about how it may feel forced and you're doing it out of obligation and all these things to me which sound very very unsexy Right? Yeah, you may I, fight to stop yourself from just shoving him away. Yeah, so, he, enough so he's pawing you and you're like, you're feeling the urge to push him away because that's what you're feeling like. But you're supposed to suppress that feeling mm-hmm. and let him mm-hmm. because that's what godly women do. And that bothers me. I really don't like that. Yeah. And what's not mentioned here at all is any concept of consent. Yeah, because I I think that the again at the beginning he says you don't get married unless you're planning to have sex regularly with this person, right? Now mm-hmm. he gives a time number of times a week, which I think Two is to a, three times which a I week. think is a bit much. But whatever, the point he's saying is don't get married unless you're willing to have sex. And the thing I think is is hilarious is it is healthy to say that sex is a healthy part of marriage and you shouldn't get married to a person you don't want to have sex with. Mm-hmm. But what I find amazing is that nobody in the evangelical church asks why is it that evangelical women don't want to have sex? <laughs> you know? And it's because of stuff like this. It's like yeah. they're being taught. You don't want it. You won't like it. You need to give it out of obligation. And mm-hmm. then we wonder why they don't like it and they feel like they need to give it out of obligation. Instead yeah. of, you know, it's crazy. Well, and, and the message, you know, that do not deprive each other and you should meet your spouse's sexual needs. Like a lot of guys hear that message. And they're like, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right? And, and I think a lot of guys don't have this mentality that I'm saying, which is very one-sided. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys want to give their wives a lot of pleasure. Yes. They want to take the time it needs. They want to be great lovers. They want this to be a mutual thing. I think I think most guys are like that. I'd like to believe that most guys mm-hmm. are like that. I think they are too. And from our focus groups, we certainly found that you know, most guys, it was actually the men who were largely responsible for helping the women get over this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think that... Guys need to understand that this idea that we're not supposed to deprive each other and that our bodies don't belong to us but to the other has very different repercussions for women than it does for men. Oh, yeah. And this is what guys don't always understand. Because first of all, it's women who can be physically in pain with sex. Yeah. And that's very rarely mentioned. To be to be fair, Kevin Lehman actually does. He's one of the few that handles vaginism as well. Nobody else that I read even mentioned sexual pain. So it's women who can feel sexual pain. It's women who are just simply far more vulnerable physically yeah. during sex. Um, it's women who are more likely to have sexual trauma in their pasts. It's women who are more likely to have been sexually objectified and harassed than men. And so, you know, sex has often been used as a weapon against women. It's often been seen as something very threatening. So, so to say you have a duty to each other and your body doesn't belong to you, that has a very different feel for a woman than it does for a man. Mm-hmm. And so so even though there's verses in the Bible talking about that, we need to understand the broader context of those verses and not use them lightly, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of these books are, are doing. Okay, this is one I want to go into in a little bit more detail, because this is something that a lot of male authors do, and I just don't think they realize what they're saying. Okay. Okay. So this is from The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. 
And that book actually scored decently on our rubric. It it came out as neutral. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. harmful. Most books came out as harmful. This one didn't. But I want to show you how some of the ways that he talks about sex would be taken very differently from men than women. When I was doing research for this chapter, his sex chapter, I found some old talks that Kathy and I did together. I had forgotten some of the struggles we had in our early days. And some of the notes reminded me that in those years, we started to dread having sex. Kathy, in those remarks, said that if she didn't experience an orgasm during lovemaking, we both felt like failures. If I asked her, how was that? And she said, it just hurt. I felt devastated and she did too. We had a great deal of trouble until we started to see something. As Kathy said in her notes, we came to realize that orgasm is great, especially climaxing together. But the awe, the wonder, the safety and the joy of just being one is stirring and stunning even without that. And when we stopped trying to perform and just started simply to love one another in sex, things started to move ahead. We stopped worrying about our performance and we stopped worrying about what we were getting and started to say, well, what can we just do to give something to the other? Okay, again, this is an issue where language is getting changed a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I think the idea that it doesn't have to be like fireworks and the 4th of July, or, you know, if you're American, Mm -hmm. (laughs) every time. And Mm -hmm. it should just be something that's enjoyable for both of us. And it doesn't have to be a big production. I think that's a healthy thing. I do too, absolutely. And aiming for orgasm every time can be a little bit can be self-defeating. Yeah. Yes. What I worry about here, though, is it almost sounds like it's like she can't orgasm, so we're just going to go ahead, mm-hmm. and that's where it ends. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's what he's saying, but it's like, why didn't they talk more about like? We just did things to make each other feel really good. Yeah, because he goes on to say, if your main purpose in sex is giving pleasure, not getting pleasure, then a person who doesn't have as much of a sex drive physically can give to the other person as a gift. And he talks about how it's good to give gifts. Yeah, but I think it's also good to give a gift if you're the higher drive person too, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think I think what a lot of women need is just to feel like it's good, like to, to have a husband to take the time to show them it can feel good. Yeah. Because I think a lot of women are living with marriages that are, you know, it's very one-sided sex. Like he has an orgasm and she feels like a failure because she can't orgasm during sex. And it's like... Right. We have a 47-point orgasm gap. I've talked about that quite a bit. 95% <laughs> so of men... You, you mean... You mean Evangelical church. Yes. The evangelical church. <laughs> the evangelical church <laughs> has a 47-point orgasm gap. So 95% of men almost always are always orgasm during yeah. a sexual encounter versus only 48% yeah. of women. And you know, if you're a woman and you orgasm like 67% of the time or something, then saying, you know what, we're not going to aim for her orgasm every time. We're not going to see it as a pass-fail. That can be a really good thing yeah. to do. But what if the person reading this never orgasms? What is the mm, message that oh, she's I see. hearing? Yeah, that's a different thing too. Yeah, like it's okay, just give up. Yeah, just yeah, give it yeah. as a gift. And also it's selfish to worry about your own pleasure. Yeah, because I was thinking like if, if that's the case, then, you know, why doesn't he just take more time to make her feel better? Like mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times like books, I don't know if this is the book or The Act of Marriage, which was the one that sort of made like mutual simultaneous orgasm is the goal for Christian. Act of marriage. The act of marriage. marriage. That's that's like, that made it the goal. And if you Mm -hmm. didn't do that, you had somehow missed 
what it was supposed to be about. Like that mm-hmm. was it, mm-hmm. right? And it's like that's such a huge like pass fail thing. And it's like it's not like let's just enjoy each other. Let's it, yeah. sex is about more than just yeah. that, right? Like yeah, but so, this, but but you know, talking about how we're we're just going to focus on what we're giving. But if she's not reaching orgasm, what exactly is she getting? The big thing is that they both have to focus on giving. Mm-hmm. So it's like he gets to have sex and have an orgasm when she doesn't, and then they just both go to sleep. Yeah. Well, what's he giving in that situation, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, he needs to be giving something too, right? So to me, I think most guys understand that and they would, but I'm not sure that everyone reading this would take that away. I think that yes. they would take away that, you know, again, given the fact that so many books say sex is for men, not for women, you know, or at least imply that, the, the, the takeaway here would be, you know, women, it's not going to work for you most of the time. Just give it to him anyway. Yeah. And the guys just, you know... Buy her something nice once in a while. Like, it's like, like there's no, there's no admonition to the guy to actually try and become a better lover. Like, yes. and there should be. I mean, like, I mean, because, to be fair, earlier like, in the chapter, he does talk okay, about how it is supposed to okay. be mutual. But then when they get down to actually explaining what their own life is like, it's like, don't worry about receiving pleasure. Only worry, yeah. worry about giving. If you're not you know, you could do it as a gift anyway. And then the other part that really got me was this one sentence. And we spent a lot of time in the Great Sex Rescue talking about this sentence. Mm -hmm. If I asked her, how was that? And she said, it just hurt. I felt devastated and she did too. So they are not communicating Mm -hmm. during intercourse. They're only communicating afterwards. So afterwards he said, how was that? And she said, it just hurt. So she didn't feel like during intercourse, she could speak up and say, hey, this is hurting. And when we have 22% of women who experience vaginismus, which is twice the rate of the general population, to throw that line out there without any talk about the importance of women not feeling sexual pain is really problematic. Because again, what this is saying is she shouldn't worry about her sexual pain. Again, it's so hard to think like a woman. I was thinking Mm -hmm. like a man again during there. And I was just Mm -hmm. thinking as a man to say, she said it just hurt and I was devastated to show it. So is she like, I'm thinking like, so where's the, so I told her, please tell me next time if it's hurting. Mm-hmm. Like that's as a man, mm-hmm. that's what I was thinking. Like, yeah, because I would want to know that I wouldn't want to, I mean, if I heard about it afterwards, I'd be like, okay, so like, let's not make this mistake again. Like, mm-hmm. let me know ahead of time so yeah. that I can stop. Yeah. But again, it's painting this picture of sex where she doesn't feel she can speak up. Yeah. And with that in mind... Oh, this is the one that I picked. <laughs> nope, yeah. nope, this is not. This oh, is, my, not, this not is still my pick. Mm, okay. For women only, Shanti Felton, she's talking in her book on sex about how a man's need for sex is not physical primarily. It's actually emotional. It's that okay. feeling like there was... So this is actually a That's very good, good message. That's good, yeah. It's a good message. It's not just need. Right. Pure need. Right. She actually says it's not about release, which is great. Good. Like, so that part's good. Healthy. But then she says this... Know that you're responding to a tender heart hiding behind all that testosterone. If at all possible, respond to his advances with your full emotional involvement, knowing that you're touching his heart. But if responding physically seems out of the question, let your words be heart words, reassuring, affirming, adoring. Do everything in your power using words and actions your husband understands to keep those pangs of personal rejection from striking the man you love. Leave him in no doubt that you love to love him. Wow. It's so hard to think like a woman. As a guy, again, I'm just offended because it's like men are these tender little lilies that can not take any criticism and can't be told, 
anything other than just be adoring to them. Like, I, I, that bothers me again as a man. Okay. But anyway, as a woman, I guess I would be sort of thinking that, again, through the sexual experience, I have to be constantly worried about him and what he's feeling and thinking and making sure he feels good and that he feels like he's a good lover and all that kind of stuff and be rewarding him and making him feel good. That's yeah. what I'd be thinking. Which, you know, we know for women to enjoy and engage in sex it's really important for them to be focusing on their own bodies mm-hmm. and what's happening in their bodies. The sexual response for men is much more automatic. The stimulation that's provided, all that sort of stuff, you know, it's fairly easy for guys to feel good during sex. Women do need to be focusing on feeling their bodies and living inside themselves and being in touch with themselves during sex. So when you're then telling women the whole time that you're doing this, you should be thinking not about what's going on inside you, but what's going on inside him. Mm-hmm. I think that's problematic. I think that's going to make it harder for women yeah. to enjoy sex. And then she actually says, if you can't physically respond, still make sure that you're affirming him. Well, no wonder you can't respond because you're not thinking about all the yeah. stuff they talked about in your now, body, right? Is there anything in there that would make you feel as a woman that you can speak up and say a little to the left? Oh, no, because, <laughs> because if, I, if I tell him something about his technique that he should do differently, like, he's going to be so hurt. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's the part that I was offended about as a man. It's like, you can't give the guy any advice. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. He's, he's a tender heart and... I forget all the words she used, but it, 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 to me, it sounded very infantilizing as a mm-hmm. man. Yeah. So, so whereas, whereas I think most guys would be like, we love to hear it when we did a great job. Mm-hmm. But like, if there's ways that, that you can make it a better experience for your wife, what guy doesn't want to know that? Like mm-hmm. what they want to hear from their wives, I think. But in these excerpts that we've read, women are not encouraged to speak up. Instead, they're encouraged to think of their husband Think of him, think of how they can be giving. Mm-hmm. And so you're just experiencing these books in a very different way if you're a woman. So I'm going to let you take this one. Oh, this yeah? is the one that you wanted to oh, talk about. Oh, yeah, this about. is Through a Man's Eyes. So By Shanti Feldon and, and Craig and, Gross. And the thing about this one was the, was the whole day in the life of Jack. So that opens the book. Do you want to explain so what this is about? Yeah, okay, so this is basically it's for women to know what it's like for a guy. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the book opens... Spe- specifically to know about a guy's visual nature. To, yes. to know about and the first chapter is called What Men See. Mm-hmm. And, and she tells the story of this day in the life of Jack. And basically, Jack spends the entire day in this horrible struggle to not look at or think about looking at this one particular co-worker. Mm-hmm. I think named Abby. Yeah, Abby. Abby. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he's like wrenching his chair away from her. He's, he's trying to get in situations where he won't be able to look at her like so that he, yeah. can, he can physically not see her. He's bombarded by billboards when he drives yeah. to... Yeah, and then if she walks by, he's thinking constantly about times that he has looked at her and not, not remembering what it looked like and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And, and the guy sounds like a nervous wreck. Yeah, it says like the next few hours are tough. Jack breathes a sigh of relief. Like those things are, it sounds like his entire work day, he's not getting any work done, first of yeah. all, because his entire mental energy all day is spent trying not to look at Abby or at the teenage girls in the hotel pool or at the billboards along the highway. And he is so stressed about what visual stimulation may come his way. And she says he's not an abnormal guy. He's a normal man in an abnormal situation. So the abnormal situation is having women around, I guess. Yeah. But anyway, but the thing that bothered me about this, a couple of things that bothered me. The first thing that bothered me was if I were a woman thinking that my husband was constantly spent, like, because this, this, you came to me with this. Yes, I did. Saying, yeah. like, is this your life, right? So, and I, th- I think I've said this on the podcast many times before. Like, I'm a, I'm a pediatrician, so I work around women 
all day long. So it's like my the nurses, the other physicians, most of them are female. Most of the parents who come in are the moms. Like I'm around women all day long. And mm-hmm. I don't struggle not to look at women all day long. I just don't. Yeah. And it's not because something's wrong with me. Like I actually have a very healthy male sex drive. <laughs> like I, I do. It's just that there's time and a place for things. And you know when it's a time and you know when it's a place and you know when it's not a time and when it's not a place. Yeah. And, and I, I don't struggle like this. And I don't think that most men struggle like this. And to make this sound like this is normal is concerning to me. And as a woman, this would terrify me. Like, I would never go to see the doctor mm-hmm. because I'd be worried of what he's thinking about. I mean, like, like when he looks at me, right? Like, it's just like, because the basic concept here is that men cannot look at a woman in a way that's not sexual. They can either look sexually or they can not look at women like jack turns his chair physically away from abby so that he won't look at her and that's described as being respectful yeah he's being respectful by by and honoring her by pretending she doesn't exist because that's the only option than seeing her as an object of sexual desire and that's so unhealthy but the thing that really bugs me is he wakes up in the morning and he's talking about his wife and she's in the shower ahead of him and he comes in to see her as he pushes open the door, he sees his wife hastily wrapping a towel around herself. What a shame. And smiles at her as he says good morning. He gives her a sweet kiss on top of her wet head. And then he just basically says he savors every image he has of her from their wedding night onward. His brain starts to imagine what she looks like under that towel. But he shuts down that train of thought. No sense making himself crazy. She's running to work and so is he. And that's all it talks about, his visual battle with his wife. So he's looking at a naked woman <laughs> in the shower who he's married to, and in a second, he can shut it down. Mm-hmm. He just says, no point, shut it down. And he's done. And there's no talk about his wife again after that. Yeah. There's no images of her bombarding him, coming back into his brain, all that kind of stuff. And it's just, if I were a woman, not only does my husband look at all these other women all day long, he can stop looking at me in, a, in an instant. And it's not that hard for him. Mm-hmm. That would hurt me so deeply. Men are not like that. They're just not like that. That's what we want to tell you guys who are listening is you may think that you haven't heard a lot of these negative messages and Mm. very likely you haven't. Like you Mm. may not have heard them to the same extent as your wife, but I would just encourage you to talk to her, ask her about some of the books that she's read, ask her about some of these messages and where she heard them and how they impacted her. Because women are hearing stuff that men aren't necessarily hearing. Yeah. And I don't think that there's there's a realization yeah. of how much that can really affect women. And I think, guys, it's it's important to let your wives know, like, there's a difference between noticing a woman is beautiful and lusting after her. I mean, like, yeah. when, a woman, when a beautiful woman walks by, I notice her. I mean, like, that's... Yeah. You notice her too. I mean, I think yeah. I notice her differently than you do because I'm a male, yeah. <laughs> right? But that doesn't mean your mind's going to definitely go somewhere. And I think that this is why men are so... Like, a lot of men do identify with Jack. Yeah. Because they think that the only way I can look at a woman is sexually. There's no way to look at a woman and appreciate that she is sexually attractive, mm-hmm. you know, that she's a, she's a nice looking woman, and then let it not go anywhere in their brain. It's like, yeah. I'm going to instantly start sliding down that slope and I'm going to be in full on lust. Like, right. But if we phrase it to women like, this is a danger that I'm fighting all day long and, mm-hmm. and I'm struggling so hard with this. And it's so important for you to know that I struggle with this. Yeah. And you need to respect the fact that I struggle with this. Like, I don't know. It's like, like if I said to you, hey, you know what? I notice other women are pretty and I don't look at them because I'm married to you and I want to think about you. Mm-hmm. That's going to make you feel good. Yeah. If I say, 
I'm struggling all day long and you need to know how I'm struggling and you need to have sex with me more so I don't struggle so badly. Mm-hmm. That's not healthy. <laughs> no. Or also, you need to be grateful that I'm struggling so hard yeah. because it means I'm not lusting. So all the time that I'm emotionally investing and not looking at my coworker, I'm doing that for you and you should thank me. That's yeah. really icky too. So there's just a lot of ickiness going on. And this, what we found over and over again is that this is one of the reasons why women's libidos are artificially lowered mm-hmm. in Christian communities. Why women often have difficulty with orgasm is we need to get rid of these ideas. So our false teaching of the week, we have a false teaching of the okay. week now on our podcast. Our false teaching this week is just because it didn't affect you doesn't mean it didn't affect other people. Mm, Yeah, especially your wife. So just because you didn't hear this stuff, just because it hasn't been difficult for you does not mean that it didn't affect Mm -hmm. other women, other men, your wife, etc. So Mm. you may hear this and think, "Mm, not really a big deal, but it might be a big deal for her. Yeah, and I think (laughs) it's important to talk to your wife about what things are going on inside her mind. And one of the things I think is really great about The Great Sex Rescue is a lot of the reviews that are coming in from women are saying, my husband helped me to unpack all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I talked to him about this, that I believed this. And he was shocked and said, oh my gosh, I didn't know that you were thinking that way. Mm-hmm. I never want you to feel obligated. I want this to be a completely 100% mutual thing. And if you don't want it, then I'm okay. I'm not going to be satanically attacked and explode <laughs> if we don't have sex tonight because I want this to be something that's mutual for us. And so many women talked about how freeing it was to hear their husbands say to them, I want this to be something for us. It's not just for me. It's for us. And I think that's a great thing for you guys who are listening to this podcast is to give that message to your wives. You know, like I care about the bad messages you've received and I want to help you move forward in health instead. And I want to work on helping you unpack some of this stuff Mm -hmm. and knowing that I love you, only you, that I'm committed to you. And sex isn't all about men. It's supposed to be for both of us. Yeah. And in The Great Sex Rescue, there are check-ins to help you with that dialogue. There's fun exercises. They're very fun exercises for you to explore (laughs) together. Take that whatever you want it to mean (laughs) at the end of each chapter. Again, it's not that we're beating up on the evangelical church. It's that we're beating up on a lot of teachings which have been prevalent in the evangelical culture. And we just need to get back to what's biblical because that's how we free everybody from all this mess. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. I have brought Rebecca, my daughter, onto the podcast now to do our research segment. Yes. Our new research segment. And this is something that you found in a journal article a while ago. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is all about who we perceive as complaining. Yes. So they they basically did three different studies. And this, this article is talking about all three studies. And it showed that our subjective analysis of who is doing more complaining. Yeah, and they say uh, maladaptive worry. Yes. But no one says maladaptive worry in the workplace. What do they say? Oh, she's just being a worry word. Oh, she's making a mountain out of molehill. Oh, she's just complaining. Oh, all she does is whine. Yes. Right? Yes. That's what they, that's how we say. Yes. So we tend to ascribe this maladaptive worry complaining thing mm-hmm. to lower status individuals. Yes. So the lower status you are, the more likely when you say something is bad for other people to say, oh, she's just complaining. Exactly. Or he's just complaining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the same phrase could be said by a man versus a woman, for instance. Yeah. And statistically speaking, the woman is more likely to be perceived as being a complainer. 
Right. So that's what we're saying here. Right. And obviously we're not assigning blame. We're not saying all men see that all women are just complainers. Yeah, no, because totally. women do this too. That's exactly what I was yeah. going to say is no matter who you are, if someone is perceived as a lower status, and that can include people of your own group. Yes. We tend to trust them less. We tend to assign negative um, motivations or just negative emotions to those people at a much higher rate. And so really what we want to get across with this particular research is If someone is bringing problems to your attention and they are lower down the totem pole, Mm -hmm. right? Because let's just be objectively, in a lot of churches, in most churches, Mm -hmm. men are higher on the totem pole than women. Yes. They just are. There's no way around that. They just have more power. They have more status. They're trusted more. Mm -hmm. And so when women are bringing complaints or if there are complaints about like, you know, abuse or, you know, if someone's saying life is really rough for me right now and here's why, we need to be very careful that we don't just brush them off. Just because you haven't experienced something doesn't mean that they don't have a reason Mm -hmm. to complain. Yeah. And so that's just a reminder to all of us. And it doesn't even mean they are complaining. Right. Either. They might just be pointing something out that is an uncomfortable truth for those in power. Yeah. So just remember to always listen and to treat others the way that we would want to be treated. Yeah. I think that's just part of the golden rule. Okay. Next thing I want to share with you is it's kind of like a reader question, except there isn't a question and we're not going to answer anything. I just found this fascinating and I thought this might be great for a Start Your Engines podcast. Great. So let me set the stage. We've been talking a lot about how this idea that all men struggle with lust can be quite toxic and yeah. can make men believe that they are lusting when they're not. Mm-hmm. And we're conflating sexual attraction with lust. And this can cause a whole host of problems for a lot of guys. We've talked about that on many podcasts. We really want to set men free from this because yes. men were not designed to sin or to objectify women. That mm-hmm. is not men's lot in life. But a woman wrote to me about how this teaching has affected her relationships with the opposite sex. And I just found this so fascinating that I wanted to share it because I thought, oh, that's interesting. So she's saying, um, she's listening to the podcast right now. And what she was talking about was our men's podcast where we talked about how how men struggle with lust, which I will leave a link to that. Okay. And she says, thoughts keep popping in my head about women. We talk about how we end up used and abused as a result of purity culture. But as I hear you discuss how toxic the thought process is for men to be afraid of women, I'm realizing I was raised to think all men wanted me. Yes. (laughs) And that greatly inhibited the ability to just be friends with men. It also made me think of myself sexually all the time. I'm not even a sexual person. I have a lower drive, but this topic is unearthing some things for me. I can see how I viewed every man as someone who was interested in me. And then when they weren't, it made me wonder why. And I'd pursue them or flirt with them, even (laughs) if I wasn't interested in them because they were supposed to want me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. (laughs) I hope this doesn't make me sound nuts, but my mom also put a lot of emphasis on finding a husband. So my eye and my brain were trained to always assess each man as potentially someone of interest. I did that. Oh, I I actually think that was a, I I think that we actually did it in a quite healthy way though, because we were also expecting that there are people who weren't going to be interested in us. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I hope we did. I know that I messed up on some of that. Anyway, this mindset didn't just stop when I got married, so it made staying faithful difficult because I always Mm. wanted to flirt and have attention. I thought all my husband's friends wanted me too. (laughs) I know this is sounding like I was a lunatic, but I assure you I'm not. As I mentioned, I did end up in a pretty crappy marriage with all the covert sexual pressure for obligation sex, marital rape, and all of that. Mm -hmm. But until today, it hadn't clicked that purity culture also attributed to my inability to choose a good man and affected so many relationships with male friends and I hope that makes sense that is really interesting I can see that actually I totally can and I think that it's because it presents everything in such a black and white thing where it's like if you have cleavage boys are going to find you sexually attractive right and then if guys don't pay you that kind of attention you think like well, what's wrong with me? It's kind of like, this is kind of my, my birthright as yeah. a woman is to have every guy fawning after me. Yeah. And so then you're like, well, I'm just going to make you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can totally see how that would happen. Because again, it's because we're turning sex and sexuality and we're turning it into a power game, right? Mm-hmm. So the men's power game is frankly that they get it when they want it. Right. The women's power game is that they get to kind of control men. Yeah. You know, and neither of those are healthy. No. <laughs> but that's kind of the, the hand of cards that we're dealt with. And yeah. so I, I totally can understand why a teenager and young adult, like, would kind of use that to their advantage a mm-hmm. bit and try to kind of manipulate the world in a, a subconscious kind of way because that's what they've been told the world is like. And so they're, in essence, trying to, like, you know, find proof of that. And it makes male-female friendships so difficult. Yeah. Because you sexualize everything. And so guys sexualize things by being told you're going to lust after every woman. And then women can sexualize things by saying, you're supposed to be lusting after me. Yeah, why aren't you lusting after me yet? <laughs> and and by becoming flirty to make that happen. Yeah. And it's like, we just need to throw the whole thing out. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Just get back to people are people are people. And then eventually you're going to find one and you're going to fall in love and marry them. But you can have lots of friends in the meantime. Isn't there something Sesame Street about people or people. I mean, I this know. is something you're supposed to learn when you're a toddler. So yeah. people are people and let's just treat others yeah. as you would want to be treated. So maybe that's exactly the big, the big lesson in this podcast. So as we're wrapping up the podcast, I have two emails to share that are encouraging. They're not too long. And one of our goals is to share how the book is transforming marriages. We're not just yeah. trying to take everything apart. We're trying to show <laughs> how we can rebuild and get something really healthy. Exactly. And so this is a couple that is on the road to that. And the husband is the main reason why. And so I just like to share those those ones on our Start Your Engines podcast and just give give kudos out there to the amazing men who are married and wanting to help their wives. So a woman writes in and says, I have been sobbing reading through The Great Sex Rescue with my husband. I read every purity book on the shelf because I wanted to be perfect for my husband and I had no idea how those words would mess me up. I kept having sex after I tore horribly after my first birth out of fear. It hurt so bad that I would grit my teeth and cry and it made me associate sex with pain. I felt used, but I was afraid that he would cheat or look at porn. Your duty sex chapter shook me to my core. Two more babies later and I'm still struggling. I'm one of those women who orgasms but feels no connection at all. Thankfully, my husband read this with me Mm. and he also sees how much harm these messages caused. He and I are working through it and trying to reframe our minds and save sex in our marriage. He's a good man, but we both heard and absorbed so many lies. Thank you. I want to make every woman in my Christian circle I ever knew grow up read this book. So I'm just so glad her husband is willing to read it and willing to look at things and say... I want better for you and yeah. I want better for us and healing is possible. That's so fantastic. I just thought that more, was amazing. Yeah, more transformation like that. 
Yeah, that's what we're looking for. And here's a message from a pastor, Sam Powell. This is a review that was left on Amazon and he's also been Facebooking about this. So I don't even know Sam, but Sam, apparently you listen. So thank you. Yes, great. <laughs> You're awesome. For years, I've been doing marriage and pre-marriage counseling. The lack of knowledge about sexuality or the outright lies that people have been taught have appalled me. Christians writing on the subject are normally hopelessly naive or have never met or talked to an actual woman or have been so focused on abstinence that they fail completely. Whenever I did counseling, I wished that I had a book like this one. The authors do an excellent job undoing the lies of the purity culture, the allure of porn, and how poorly the church does in combating it. Unfulfilling sex lives and marriages and lack of love and intimacy in so many Christian marriages. This book will be my go-to for all future marriage and pre-marriage counseling. I cannot recommend it enough. For those I have already counseled, remember when I said I wish I had a book to recommend, but I don't? This is the one we needed. If you struggle, know someone who struggles, or simply desire a deeper, more intimate, more fulfilling sex life with your spouse, please get this book. Pastors, get this book. We have a problem with sexuality in our churches, and we need to know how to address it. Get this book. Use it. Get sexuality back on a biblical foundation and put the joy and intimacy back into the lives of those under your care. That's awesome. Yeah. Does that make you feel good? Yes. This is really our prayer that pastors will get a hold of the Great Sex Rescue. So thank you for that. Um, If you are a pastor, please pick it up and read it because I think it'll be really helpful in your counseling too. Remember that you can help us get this message out there wider. We do have a Patreon now. Yep. And the money from that will go to Joanna, part of it to Joanna as she writes articles for peer-reviewed journals. We've got some great partnerships going with some pelvic floor physiotherapists and with some sociologists. Yeah, it helps to cover our research expenses. It helps cover Joanna's time, frankly, because Mm -hmm. uh, normally when you're doing academic research, you have a salary from a university and you're not, you know, just trying to do it with two toddlers in the background in your apartment (laughs) in a Calibit. Which so, is in the north, in yeah. none of it, in the Canadian yeah. Arctic. Picture polar bears. Yes, that's where polar she lives. Polar bears and igloos, yes. yes. We are really, really appreciative of your support. It's mm-hmm. opened so many doors for us. And then the other side of it is what we're calling the transmission of the message. <laughs> yes, to get into social media channels that we can't currently uh, yeah. monetize, but to reach a different audience. Yeah, so. and so that's more my side of things. Yes, so thank you for supporting us. We'll put the link, ba- yeah. it's Patreon um, slash Bear Marriage, and we'll put the link in the podcast description. And we are just so grateful for all the the encouragement that everyone is sending us. We just want to see marriages thrive.